I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Online podcast. And welcome. That was a kind of interesting way of introducing the show. I hope that didn't make you uncomfortable. My name is Aaron Alexander. And I am so grateful to bring to y'all today Mr. Gil Headley. He is. I believe he would be the most famous, renowned human dissector in the world. I don't know that many human dissectors in the first place, but nonetheless, this guy, if you're into bodies, you know Gil Headley's name. Um, He is an innovator of getting into the fascia, the connective tissue of the human body in these cadaver labs. Generally speaking, in the past, we used to throw the white stuff, the adipose, the fascia, the connective tissue, out like it was packing peanuts, and Gil Headley said no! We gotta check that stuff out and see what it is. Now it's the hottest topic that we're thinking about, so that's what we got into. Super, super fascinating. What the heck is fascia? Why is it important? Um, These relationships in our bodies that everyone absolutely needs to be familiar with. And uh, how Mr. Gil Headley went from being very still, monk-like, introverted human being to Brian being the expressive, dynamic individual that he is today. Gil is uh, at least as weird as I am, which I find to be really, really fantastic. And what remains is this big yellow body. And, uh, and whoa, what the heck is that? What's that yellow? What's that yellow body? You know, what's that incredible fleece that I'm staring at, this grand yellow fleece that's shaping everybody's form and that I've been touching every day of my, my practice and that I live with in my own body, uh, however minimally given my own personal morphology, but uh, I know it's there, I can feel it, and I feel it in all my clients when I touch them, so like, wow, that's really important. I was just gobsmacked, like, oh my gosh, this yellow stuff is, is, uh, is very powerful, not only um, insofar as the fact that it represents a large amount of our body, a large amount of our anatomy that didn't make it into the anatomy book somehow. Uh, but, but also, it's, it's got juice, life, energy. It's, it's a powerful uh, aspect of our, of our humanity. It's emotional. It generated a kind of a reaction in the room. Uh, consistently. You picked the wrong guy to be silly about yeah. cadavers with, fella. <laughs> no jokes from here on out. So, yeah, enjoy this stuff. And be sure, as you know, to observe the aligntherapy.com website. A-L-I-G-N therapy.com On there, you will find blog, you'll find hundreds of free videos on functional movement and self-care practices. You will find the self-care kit, which is a foam roller, 13 inches long, uh, with some balls inside there, some bands, well, a band inside there, door anchor, you can adjust the band various different heights, decompress those joints, keep that tissue moving fantastically for the rest of your life, as long as you use that little mofo. 
And uh, what else we got? We have so much good stuff. We have courses. We got all sorts of fantastic stuff. Enjoy it. Please be sure to leave a review on that iTunes gizmo that you might be listening to this or Stitcher or whatever it may be. Review of the day, we'll keep it quick, is from Mr. Boardchart. Five-star review, the Align Podcast podcast is legit. Mr. Boardchart says, Aaron Alexander really knows his stuff, and this podcast is filled with great info to improve yourself in a variety of ways. Love it! Period. No exclamation point, Boardchart. I would have loved to see an exclamation point there, but that's okay. I still appreciate the review. Thank you, sir. Very, very wonderful. Yeah, leave reviews, please. They're fantastic. That's the, pretty much the only way that folks get to see this show is that iTunes receives the message, the memo that people are reviewing it, people are digging it. So check it out. Be sure to utilize the Amazon portal on the, the website, on the right sidebar. If you're going to purchase some stuff, that's helpful. Kick down some scratch my direction. Keep this thing funded. Keep this thing moving. And that is probably it. I'm sure I'm forgetting all sorts of fantastic stuff. I love you guys. Thank you very much for tuning in. Mr. Gil Headley. Align Podcast. What is your uh, background with with the body in general? What's your approach? What's your background? Hmm. Well, my initial background, uh, I mean, as a kid, I was really into my body. I did weightlifting. I was a child of Arnold, you know. I did supersets six <laughs> days a week, and I got big. And it uh, felt good uh, when I wasn't destroying myself from total incompetence and undirected uh, overlifting. But right. uh, so I had a connection to my body, that sort of 70s pain means gain uh, philosophy. Uh, but uh, eventually I came to study it, and that was literally through my initial pursuit of um, of that pain that I gave myself that didn't go away. Sure. So I was trying to figure out, like, what the hell is wrong with me? Um, and I thought maybe if I went into a cadaver lab, you know, I could, I could like, see the back muscles. That was like an intense um, uh, intent that I carried for a couple of years in graduate school. If only I could see this place where I have my pain, maybe I could heal it. And uh, right. it turned out now uh, that didn't help at all. I went into the cadaver lab at uh, the University of Chicago with a housemate who was a med student. And I walked through that lab and saw all those partially dissected uh, human forms and, and realized that, uh, no, my, my pain was my pain and that it would be gone when I was dead. And I had to figure it out uh, as a living person, you know, because it really wasn't living in those tissues there. It was living in me. And that set me on a whole much broader and more informative track, uh, which eventually led me to uh, practice Tai Chi and become a rolfer and get connected up to myself in that way. And when I was initially practicing rolfing, I found myself quite, uh, quite feel, feeling quite inadequate to the task uh, as I noodled around rather deeply in people's bodies. And I thought, right, I really got to get back to that dissection lab and, and uh, learn a bit more. Uh, that's what brought me to the lab initially. And then, uh, you know, once I had a cadaver, I needed some help. Uh, to pay for it, so I started cold calling rolfers until I got enough people to run a workshop, and that thus began the anatomy empire. Uh. Awesome. And then, so with with rolfing, I think a lot of people probably think rolfing might be some relation to like live action role playing or rolling on the floor laughing. Um, <laughs> what what is rolfing? <laughs> well, for me, that pretty much describes it, actually. But uh, <laughs> um, uh, rolfing was a form of body work that I. 
that I got into. Uh, I had seen its uh, effects and positive results on people in my life and thought, well, that's really interesting. When I looked up Ida Rolf, I found her to be sort of self-described as an educator and clearly a healer. And I thought those two, two, um, two facets were exactly what I wanted to embody in my own life as a teacher and a healer. And uh, I found that inspiring. So I went to the Rolf Institute and learned structural integration, you know, putting hands on people in a way, not so much a massage, but uh, with, with uh, feeling good in the moment as a short-term goal, but with more long-term goals around uh, structural alignment and balance, poise, uh, uh, clarity and movement and uh, ease of uh, person. So um, also Ida Rolf was interested in the, mature, the maturity uh, or maturing the human species basically. And as a PhD in ethics, I found something in that as well. And so there's a lot for me in Rolfing and, uh, and I stand on the shoulders of my Rolfing training in my own initial pursuits in a dissection lab where I was basically looking for those um, layers of the body that Tom Myers talked about in the pre-training back in 1991. And, uh, and I was like, wow, there are layers in the body and I think I'm touching them in my Rolfing practice. I want to actually, you know, lay eyes on them. You know, but uh, using Grant's, Grant's, uh, Grant's anatomy or Grant's uh, dissector was not the way to get that. It's the way the med, med students do it. It has its virtues, the regional approach for, uh, for, for medical purposes. But uh, what I realized pretty soon on was it needed to develop a whole new anatomy, uh, one that was coherent with the holistic body philosophies of, of what I had learned at the Rolf Institute. And I'm like, how can we develop an anatomy that, that, uh, that reflects and finds in the body uh, these continuities and relationships that I was taught to feel for with my hands. And so, and that's, I mean, that's something that I speak with, with, with my clients on almost a daily basis is, is this continuities and those relationships. And I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing that for so long we've, I feel like we've almost been deceived as to what, you know, what, what is anatomy and what is, what are these relationships in our body? Cause the previous conception of cadaver labs, um, it was, you know, you stripped away that, what they, what they considered just like the adipose or the fat, fat tissue layer, all the white stuff. And we mm-hmm. missed out. What I always say is like we, what we miss out with that. We, you know, we get into the pulleys, you know, and the, all the mechanisms of it, but we miss out on the life. Like we strip the body of the life and then we print it on these books, you know, and then we try to reprocess that information and we miss a really vital point of that, you know, what, like, what is integration? What is life? Like, do you have, how, how is your approach? You actually have had a pretty massively impactful uh, involvement with that evolution. Can you talk a little bit about like what, what you've done with that? Well, um, sure. And I couldn't agree with you more that there's something missing in the, in the medical textbooks and in that approach in general. And at the same time, you know, thank goodness they found out all of the details so that I could, I could look at they, they gave so much detail on the trees that I could actually stand back uh, and look at the forest. So, um, and that forest to me is a, is, is a living thing, as, as you uh, referenced. You know, I am a, I am a, an avowed vitalist. Um, I am no mechanist. Uh, so, um, I'm a man in search of meaning and, uh, and life uh, much more so than uh, naming parts or posting my flag on a given uh, given terrain of the body, which is what they were doing. You know, back in the early days, the anatomists were literally, they were, they were with the, ex- the explorers were out naming mountains and the anatomists were inside naming bits, you know? So, um, 
uh, we're past that age now, and we can we can take in a, a broader view. And and in my mind, it just has to include our life and movement. When we when we look at the body, we're we're the way I see it. You know, uh, I mean, in the living form, it's so radically different than what's on the table there in the lab. And all I can do is look at that as a pointer or an indicator or clues, uh, clues about life, clues about movement, clues about structure, uh, because there we can never really fully grasp. Um, the immense uh, reality of, a, of the living human form um, uh, and pretty much anything we say about it and anything we do to it is going to be a hack job, uh, literally, and an abstraction from the larger reality that is our, our functioning, living, breathing, soul-inspired uh, 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 human life. So um, when I you know, went to the lab then initially and did that dissection the way I mentioned, it wasn't it, it did, well, that was not, didn't make sense to me, and I was horrifying. It was traumatizing. When I went back, I, I was certain I had to do it differently, and so um, I did take the time, you know, to not put the fascia in the bucket. I didn't have the, uh, what do you call it, the, the, um, the problem that medical students do. They're not invited to go into the laboratory and explore. They're invited to go into the laboratory and, and learn the curriculum and pass the test, and, and that's school, right? But I wasn't in school. I was out of school. I was studying for for my own sake, for my own professional development. And so I could linger on things that weren't, on, that aren't in the medical curriculum, you know. So I look at the skin, I'm like, wow, that's an organ there, and that's really cool. And you'll hear, hear that said in conventional textbooks, but to really dissect it that way, you know, to, to say, well, let's see if we can, let's see if we can discover the whole skin, you know. And then if we, if we or, or let's say, let's say we isolate that organ, and uh, reflect it as a unity, then what remains? And what remains is a big yellow body. And, uh, and whoa, what the heck is that? What's that, yellow, what's that yellow body? You know, what's that incredible fleece that I'm staring at, this grand yellow fleece that's shaping everybody's form and that I've been touching every day of my, my practice and that I live with in my own body, uh, however minimally, given my own personal morphology, but... Uh, I know it's there. I can feel it, and I feel it in all my clients when I touch them. So, like, wow, that's really important. I was just gobsmacked. Like, oh my gosh, this yellow stuff is is uh, is very powerful. Not only um, insofar as the fact that it represents a large amount of our body, a large amount of our anatomy that didn't make it into the anatomy book somehow, uh, but but also it's it's got juice, life, energy. It's it's a powerful. Uh, aspect of our of our humanity it's emotional it generated the kind of reaction in the room uh, consistently um, that I learned to work with and to learn with work with people's reaction to that and to understand their reaction to this yellow fleece and their uh, fear and loathing and hatred or 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 their love their their discover that they might discover they like it. They, 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 they have, it has an appeal, and that if you have a, if you develop a, an affirming relationship with it, it changes your life, and it changes the way you touch and, and the way you move as well. You're not carrying it around as a burden. You, it's, it's a, it's a living, moving aspect of your form. It's not inert, um, and it's functional. It has all this, um, you know, metabolic and endocrinal um, uh, and. Uh, uh, dimensions to it, not to mention the, the emotional level of it. Um, and so this, this, you know, that became a, a point of attraction for me, uh, as well as a revulsion. And it took me many years to work through my revulsion until I could assemble, you know, a, a, um, a sort of a list of attributes that, that continues to grow 
that enable me to uh, come at it with serious appreciation. And I do feel that the only way that we can establish a, a, um, a healthy relationship with our bodies is if we start with appreciation uh, for them. But it's hard to appreciate something if it's in a bucket or if it's not in a book or if it's vilified in your culture or if it's like, you know, um, photoshopped straight out of your, your uh, media. So, yeah. Those are some thoughts, huh? Just get us started. <laughs> no, that's 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 amazing, man. And you know, it's 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 really fascinating. I'm just kind of like, as I'm here listening to you, I'm thinking about you know this that that previous notion of the body in cadaver labs and our textbooks. It seems you know I was at the gym this morning. I was doing some like deadlifts and compound movements, and uh, you know noticing what people do there. It's literally it's like it's straight out of those you know 1980s textbooks. You know, it's like thinking mm-hmm. thinking about the body as though it's like, you know, it's like a, a, a Chevy truck or something. You know, it's, it's, it's not just these linear motions. It's not a machine. It's a fluid system. I think that you nail it when uh, one of the things I read that you had wrote is you call it the a fabric of extreme intelligence. And I think that was just that was just like hit it on the nose. And it's like there's so much more to this connective tissue and to the human body and the emotional experience and just that whole entire bundle of stuff than what we give it credit for when we go to the gym and we do our linear A to B, you know, bicep curls. Um, and so mm-hmm. something that has profoundly impacted me is is dance and movement and climbing and running and jumping and twisting. Um, could you touch a little bit on uh, movement practices that you found to be really effective to get into kind of that that uh, intelligence of the body? Well, sure, and I can completely relate to your your um, you know wonderment uh, with regard to certain types of movements that you'll see in a gym or that are you know called for from machi- machinery. Uh, and one, you know, if you're going to play with machines, you're going to end up moving like them. And so uh, I. First, you know, was that guy, I, like I said, I was a 70s bodybuilder, so I, I was uh, very much into those spe- specified, uh, rigid, uh, machine-like movements, uh, and I had to let go of that. When I got to graduate school, the first, for me, it was several steps. You know, my first step out of that kind of mo- movement was to a bicycle, which isn't saying much, at least it was aerobic. But, you know, your knees are pumping in the same way and your back is humped and whatever. And so that doesn't really get you there. Uh, But it it was better than just, you know, doing military presses on a universal machine in 1979 or whatever. Um, So then I went to Tai Chi. And uh, Tai Chi is something I picked up in graduate school. I practiced it for a number of years. And for me, Tai Chi was revelatory because, uh, you know, the the forms – uh, of Tai Chi called for movements that were simply not part of my movement vocabulary. They weren't part of my repertoire. And so when I initially started practicing Tai Chi and learning those forms, it was incredibly expansive for me. Uh, but after six or seven years of practicing to the point where, you know, I'm doing two hours of forms a day, uh, and I'm, I'm a little on the obsessive side and, uh, and spent a lot of time with it, uh, after a while, I was like, I think I'm going to go insane if I do this form one more time because it's, it's become a limit cycle, right, rather than expansive. Uh, so, in other words, once I, I, I had expanded my movement to, to that level, then I had to go further. And then it just started looking weird, you know. <laughs> in other words, I, I realized that any movement goes, you know, movement is good. Movement is life. And so at any point where I've decided that I need to move this way, then I'm in trouble. I'm, 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 I'm forming a groove. I'm developing a rut. 
And uh, I would say that people like Don Van Bleeden and Emily Conrad were very influential on me as I moved out of my Tai Chi practice and into a life, literally, um, where, you know, my life turned into chasing my children around and doing that sort of thing. And, uh, but I realized how rich that was, you know, how, how, the, the, uh, how sophisticated it is to never move the same way twice. Uh, and that um, any time you do, again, you're building a neural rut ultimately. And, and, uh, and so it's, it's the variety. And, and to look at a, a joint and, and decide in your mind that it goes this way and that way when there's a thousand permutations around this way and that way that it can do in combination with another thousand permutations, the very other joint in your body. And then you realize that, you know, a movement is, um, is, a, is an ever dynamic, ever living thing. So the things you described, you know, rock climbing or whatever, any, anything that, uh, whatever, throwing hell's a bay up on a loft. Uh, I was a garbage man for many years and spent a whole lot of time running around on the streets tossing garbage into the back of a truck and jumping in and out of the cab. And uh, even that, you know, was certainly more dynamic than the exercise practices that I had done, although eventually my back went out because I realized you got to throw the garbage in right and left. <laughs> you, gotta, you can't just do the same thing over and over again or you will break it because you're not a machine. If you use it like one, you'll break it. Absolutely, man. And so one of the things, I, I, I assume you've probably been to the, the body works uh, thing in, in Vegas and they, they travel all over. Have you ever been to that before? Um, yeah, I went to the... the uh, Chinese version of it in a South Street seaport in Manhattan um, years ago. I gave a lecture there. It was fun. Yeah. I know about those exhibits. Yeah. In fact, the lady who was the the, uh, the chief operating officer for those exhibits just became my tenant. How about that? <laughs> cool. Yeah, so one of the things that I'm curious because you've spent how many how many hours ballpark do you think you've spent with dead people? Well, I don't know any. I don't know any dead people. I mean, I you know I see dead people, but that, that's a, I. In other words, I don't. I the word people or person is very special word for me. It's a very uh, holistic concept. I'm what you might call a personalist, philosophically uh, speaking. And so um, when I when I, I I've spent a lot of time with cadavers, uh, but I never. They're not people. They're what they are. They're models. And I've spent thousands of hours with them, uh, thousands of hours over, and over 21 years, you know. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. I was just kind of being silly. But, and so with that, that time... That you you picked the wrong guy to be silly about yeah. cadavers with, fella. <laughs> no jokes from here on out. <laughs> no, no, you can joke all day long, but I'll always correct folks when they, when they think that, it's, for instance, how can you cut up people, they'll say. And I'm like, no, surgeons cut up people. I don't cut up people. Right. Uh, and so people, you know, mean comics cut up people. It's called sarcasm. Right, uh, and right, I'm right. not a big, I'm a big fan of surgery, though I'm not competent to it. Uh, I'm a fan because I've seen their incredible talent, uh, but also um, I'm not a big fan of sarcasm uh, at all. And so it boils down to then what am I doing? And it's like, well, I am, I am parsing out uh, this fantastic model uh, because it's such an amazing pointer to the whole that I am. Yeah. And so I'm curious... What is something that you have seen, you know, as far as like patterns that you tend to see with people, you're saying like, you know, you don't want to be moving the same direction twice. You want to make sure that you're maintaining fluid movement through your whole system and kind of touching on the whole expression of the body. What is something that you see manifest in the cadavers, in the models that you work with? Is there some kind of like patterns you're like, oh, there it is again. They've been sitting on their butt all day and they're, you know, the gluteal tissue is just squished or like, what, what does that look like? 
Well, to tell you the truth, all the gluteal tissue on cadavers is squished because they're lying on a flat table, and uh, so every, everyone's butt is kind of flat. But um, the it's not so easy to discern that sort of thing uh, in the cadaver uh, for for different reasons and different types. So even if you have what's called what people refer to as fresh tissue, or I would call unfixed tissue, or a dead body, um, it's very hard to discern. Um, the, the living person's pattern because it's like they're under anesthesia. There's no, there's no uh, tension in the tissues that would, that would be particularly indicative of their patterns. A lot of what you are working on is not their body. It's their ideas about their body. You're working on their resistance to your hand. You're working on their resistance to life. Um, not necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily all lasting in the tissues. Of course, many things are lasting in the tissues. So I consistently see, you know, adhesions uh, uh, and such in the viscera and all. But it's very hard to discern uh, specific patternings outside of uh, shape and size uh, that you see in the tissues. And it's easy to see the same things you see in a rolfing practice where you look at a person standing there in front of you and say, oh, well, they're kind of upwardly displaced or they're they're hanging out down low here, or you know, they're a little to the right, or they're a little to the left. You can see all those patterns in uh, in the body still. Um, and do you feel like th- th- with worth working with the cadavers, you have a sense of maybe who they were as a person, as far like emotionally speaking, how they carried themselves, how their structure has formed into that that state? Well, I can certainly write all over that blank slate with my capacity to project infinitely. <laughs> uh, and so um, for sure, uh, I, can, I, can, I feel as surely as with the living, I will project and get ideas about how a person operates. And, and I'm constantly surprised. Uh, and so, you know, every, the, the, the moment that you decide, you know, you've sized someone up based on their shape or whatever, they will surprise you. That having been said, there are certain psychodynamic patterns that manifest in tissues and armoring that, you know, if you get into studying that sort of thing, you can begin to um, read it with a mind to service uh, for the people who you're working with. So those sort of patternings work work more for me with the group uh, rather than what's on the table. Uh, What's on the table, I'm kind of trying to constantly bring people to notice the health that's there, which is kind of an osteopathic principle. Uh, that you like less okay sure they died something was wrong well maybe lots of things are wrong but let's see if we can't um, clue in uh, when we're beholding this gift before us let's see if we can clue into the the incredible uh, sophisticated uh, health system that we're looking at here and help people to appreciate that level because it doesn't take much to find something wrong with a cadaver uh, or, or for that matter, for the person who walks in, into your door, and then it's like some people consider that their mission. I'm going to find out what's wrong with you, and then you're going to pay me to fix it. And that is, you know, one kind of dynamic that operates in practices, but uh, it wouldn't be my favorite. Um, I would, you know, be more interested in uh, noticing what's going right with the person and helping to uh, bring everything that's incoherent with all that's going right with them uh, into coherence with it and then find, find their way that way. And it's just kind of a more positive enterprise. I'm curious. Uh, one of the things that that we checked out when I was actually at the Rolf Institute was uh, the fuzz speech. It's kind of become pretty pretty famous in the in the in the bodywork realm. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a scary cult. I don't know those people. <laughs> could you could you maybe touch on get it? behind what, me, what fuzz Satan. Is? Get behind me. 
No, yeah, sure. Fuzz. I'll tell you, Fuzz is absolutely uh, rose up as a, as a function of my of me as, as a body worker, as me as a rolfer. Um, I, I heard the phrase in my rolfing training that the tissues slide up on each other like silk stockings. And when I started doing dissection and I'm, I'm lifting, you know, tissue away from its, itself, you know, one, one texture from another, and I'm seeing this cotton candy uh, in between it. And I'm like, what's that? that well, I didn't see that in Netter. You know, I didn't, you know, everything was very clean and tidy in these, in these paintings and drawings, and I never got to see the dissection in process. So if you don't see the dissection in process, you don't know what was cut away. So you can bring your book into the lab, but there's a whole lot in, in, on the table there that's not ever in the book uh, or, or discussed particularly. And so now you're facing it. And so I'm looking at this, at this cotton candy as I pull the body apart and, and speculating. It looks fuzzy to me. It's like all the fuzz. And, uh, and I developed, you know, over a course of 10 years, a more and more elaborate theory of the fuzz, which I eventually recorded in that speech and never gave that speech again. So it's like 12 years ago now. And people are still... Uh, running around on it, kind of saying, but you said, and I'm like, wait, wait, wait a second. I've learned a lot in the last 10, 10 years or so and have annotated what's online. Uh, not because I uh, disavow it. I don't, actually. I think most of it's pretty accurate, although there is um, a couple of deceptions uh, that are there. At, at the time, oh, so here was my mistake. I thought that, that that cotton candy did not belong there uh, and that it was kind of my job as a rolfer to make it go away. Certainly my job as a dissector. And then I, I, I sort of implicated my task as a rolfer. I thought that was my job. That was the, in other words, the vision I carry to the body is what you're going to do. So it's very important what ideas you carry to the body. So first I wanted to try and make that go away. And then my clients will be all happy and such. But it turns out if you would, if you were to make that tissue go away, the body would collapse. There'd be nothing, there would be no leverage in the body. Um, because again, going back to that mechanical model of body and those endpoints for leverage and pulleys and all that sort of thing, uh, that's an incredible reduction even of the body as a machine. Uh, the body is a much more sophisticated machine with that than if you want to stick with that metaphor. And the fact that I realized, it took me a long time, was that, oh my gosh, the muscles aren't just attached at their attachments, they're attached over 100% of their surface. In fact, Everything is attached to everything over 100% of its surface. And my question became different. I don't ask, what, is, what, what are the attachments of such and such muscle? What are the attachments of such and such tissue? The question became, what is the quality of the relationship of this texture to that texture? Or what is, what is by what means, by what textural means do, do we transition from this to that? And that's what I found the fuzz to be. The fuzz is actually the principle of movement in the, in the body. Um, so it's, it's not, it's not, uh, it, it's not a, a, a mean glue, except under pathological circumstances. It can be that. Uh, but for the most part, um, if, if we were to be looking at a living body in surgery or even a body uh, post-mortem that hadn't been embalmed, uh, it wouldn't be quite so dry. Uh, in between the tissues. And what I was referencing is the flood, fuzz would be wet for starters. So we're going we're gonna to redefine fuzz here. We're going to say it's, it's, a, it's, a wet, um, it's, it's a wet, even gelatinous, fibrous interface uh, whereby uh, tissues can slide one against another. And you could call it uh, fascia, if you like, or apomesium, or it depends on where you are in the body, what you're going to call it. Uh, and if you were to embalm it and dry it out and pull it apart, it would look like cotton candy because the, um, you know, the, the filamentous network is not organized in the way that it is in deep fascia. So it's what we call loose 
areolar fascia. So loose areolar fascia uh, aren't loose meaning, you know, falling out of you, loose, loose change. They're, they're, it's, it's a type of mesh or a type of connection that is not uh, so linear in its internal organization uh, or so layered. And so we have this basically this wet, filmy, uh, chaotic, fibrous layment that permits tissues to be simultaneously uh, connected and moving relative to each other, which is a pretty good trick when you think about it. Uh, because, you know, in machines, how do we do that? We do it with, with, with lubrication. We do it with lubrication. Um, yeah, so my dog and my daughter. It's okay, um, live TV. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we, um, <laughs> we do it with lubrication, but, and in our viscera, we do it with lubrication, right? Uh, but in, in betwixt and between our fascial layers and our muscle tissue, uh, we do it with this, this kind of gelatinous, wet, um, filmy uh, fascial layer that does have an endpoint. Now, if you can't stretch it infinitely, if you did, all your, you know, all your meat would end up down around your ankles. Uh, so <laughs> it can only go so far, right? So there's an endpoint to it, and then there's optimal movement. And then the question would be, well, what happens if well, I, see, I see what happens to it in a cadaver when it's dehydrated? What happens in you when it's dehydrated? And I think that uh, problems happen to it when you're dehydrated. And problems happen to it when, through lack of movement, you have what I would call agglomeration. Now, there are people who argue with me about whether the tissues are actually agglomerating or not. And I have quotes from surgeons who say, yeah, I think they are. And then other people say, no, it's all nerves, and you trigger the nerves, and everything will be active again. And I don't really know or care. All I can tell you is that it's a pretty good story. If you imagine that your tissues are agglomerating from lack of movement, uh, agglomeration meaning stick together, that's a fancy word for stick together. So if, you're, if your tissues are agglomerating, then the question is, what do you do to, to restore that? Now I'm going to go back to movement again, uh, because I don't believe that the best way to heal sticky tissues is to rip them apart. Uh, although that was fitting to the pain means gain philosophy of the 1970s. And I think a lot of the body workers did a lot of ripping apart in those days, although not necessarily the service of their clients, although it might have felt like enlightenment at the moment. Uh, and it, it might have been enlightenment compared to walking around like a cement block. Uh, but in terms of um, the, what I would consider to be optimal ways to access the healing properties of the body, you don't do it by bullying it. You want to uh, br bring movement back. And that could be done either internally, in other words, you move. Uh, so you can actually move yourself with your hands. You can grab something and move it if it's not moving on its own. Or someone else can do that for you. So you go to a therapist and they help restore movement to your tissues manually and then when you walk away from that session uh, you have a more range of motion and then it becomes a, an emotional question can you handle it now because there's a reason why our tissues agglomerate there's a reason why we hold ourselves there's a reason why we're armored against the world there's a reason why we fear life for whatever reason and so uh, if you're going to introduce movement in, into a system uh, then either person is going to take delight and joy in that and it's going to uh, it's going to ramify into more and more uh, movement and joy, or it's going to scare the hell out of them and it's going to shut back down. <laughs> and then, so with connective tissue, connective tissues, it's pretty hardy stuff from my understanding. Like it, to actually stretch this tissue would take a, 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 I don't know what the exact number is, but a large amount of weight from my understanding. Um, and you absolutely correct me on this. Um, and then, so the question is, are we stretching this stuff or are we rehydrating it? And if we are rehydrating it, um, why can't a person just drink a gallon of water and have, you know, these fluid serous membranes just functioning fantastically? 
Mm. Well, again, if they're, if they're sort of matted and agglomerated, then it's not so easy for, for uh, you know, this movement that pumps the fluid through the system. So you drink all the water you want, you're just going to piss it out. If you drink water and move, that's a different story. Uh, so hydration isn't necessarily a question of how much water comes in my mouth. Uh, hydration is a, is a question of, of how thoroughly do I engage the whole system so that there are no backwaters and eddies in my body, so that there's flow going through the whole thing. Uh, so you got to move to hydrate, not just drink, you know, uh, and, and you know, otherwise you're going to pee a lot, which is, you know, just work for your kidneys and adjusting your salt levels and blood pressure. So I, I'm not a huge fan of just glug, glug, glugging gallons of water because someone told you in a book that you should drink X many cups of water for X many pounds of body. Uh, it's more like, you know, where do you live with regards to how much water you drink and, and, and how do you move and, and do you use the fluids uh, to, to push through, uh, you know, uh, accumulated uh, toxins, matted down tissues in your body. Um, but in terms of the stretching fascia, we've got to distinguish what kind of fascia we're talking about. Uh, so when it comes to um, fascia, of course, in the body, there's a bunch of different kinds. And if we consider that the body has, let's say, four different types of tissue, those being you know, nervous, connective, epithelial, and muscle, then, um, then we can look at, say, uh, fascia as a subcategory of the connective tissue um, um, type of tissue. And, the, and then w when we look in, into fascia, well, there's a whole lot of different kinds of fascia, too. So we talked a little bit about the adipose, which is what I would call a loose areolar tissue with variable adipocyte deposition. That's one type. Right, and then we have, uh, say, what Rolfers love to work on: deep fascia, uh, particularly, which is that kind of, um, you know, more opaque uh, tissue that underlies the superficial fascia, and that creates a, a bit of a sleeve around the muscles as well, penetrates through them, and is circumferential all the way down to every cell. Um, and so the, that's a different kind of fascia. And then this sort of filmy fascia that we're talking about, um, so we can basically identify these. Uh, different types of fascia, then of course we can get into whatever, uh, you know, visceral fascia. But um, with regard to stretching again, when I look at my arm, say, and I make my wrist go up and down, flex, extend, flex, extend, and I see the muscles sliding along in there, uh, I can see, see them activating as I extend my wrist. And then as I make my wrist go forward, I see them sliding forward again. And I see my superficial fascia kind of gliding relative to that muscle movement, and I can see my veins sort of sliding relative to that muscle movement. They're not in the same plane, right? And in between them would be this sort of anchoring tissue, what I would call the deep fascia. And I'd have to say, I don't think the deep fascia is going, going anywhere particularly. Um, it, it is actively contractile, as it's been shown in the various fascia congress papers and research by Robert Schleip and et al. But... Um, when, when I'm doing my dissection and I'm looking at the filmy relationships between the tissues, which I conclude to be sliding relationships, I see the superficial fascia sliding over the deep fascia. I see the muscle sliding under the deep fascia. So I see tissue sliding relative to that deep fascia, which is at some level kind of an extension of our skeleton in liquid crystal form. So it's, it's like we've got hard crystal and we've got soft crystal. We've got bones and we have deep fascia. And relative to those things, there's a lot of stuff slipping, sliding, and, and moving and contracting. Um, and so, uh, you know, whether we're stretching, stretching is like a dirty word these days. There's been some uh, articles put out that um, make people think that uh, we're, we're never stretching or all you do when you stretch is stretch and it's not necessarily good for you and people have more injuries when they stretch and blah, blah, blah. 
And uh, I don't know whether, you know, that's a fad. I don't know. Stretching is a fad. Not stretching is a fad. All I can tell you is that movement is good. And if, we're gonna, if, we, if, if I'm going to move and call it stretching, I'm going to call that good. Uh, stretching, and if I'm gonna, you know, what I'm saying if I'm gonna move in a way that injures myself, I'm gonna call that bad stretching. Um, the same way with uh, fuzz, you know, if fuzz is allowing me to move, I'm gonna call it good fuzz. And if fuzz is um, an inhibitory factor uh, due to agglomeration, scarring, um, or uh, pathological adhesions in the viscera, I'm gonna call it bad fuzz. So good fuzz, bad fuzz, good stretching, bad stretching, good movement, bad movement. I'm gonna put all these. Know, moral labels on basically what relatively kind of boils down to what feels good or what feels bad. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm, I am on the boat of, um, I don't want to say anti-stretching, but I don't use the word stretching. I use mobilization. I think mobilization tells a better story about it. You know, a stretching, I think, oftentimes is connotated towards people just, you know, bending over and trying to get like their head between their legs or something. It's like the, the question is always, why are you, why are you doing that? You yeah, know. well, it depends on whose legs you're putting your head between, I suppose. But right, <laughs> yeah, but that, that's 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 always that's always my question for people. It's like you know, and same same concept with anything. It's like what is what's what purpose does this does this movement serve? You know, I, I think that oftentimes we can be saying like, oh, I'm I'm moving. You know, it's it's great. I'm moving. You know, but if you're perpetuating a dysfunctional pattern that you've been perpetuating for the last thirty years maybe it would be better to introduce a new pattern into the system. You know, and that's when my, you know, what I notice the most with people stretching, I'm doing the little quotation marks, um, is people usually end up just perpetuating the stuff that's already hypermobile, you know, the, the, the stretches that they're good at, you know, and oftentimes they end up, you know, collapsing their spine and kind of just, just recreating these patterns that could potentially lead them to, you know, a dangerous fall or something like that. Do you, do you resonate with that at all? Or what, what are your thoughts? Sure, absolutely. And we're going to con- con- continually change up and refine our vocabulary, you know, over, over time. And uh, I mean, what, what we're ultimately looking for is that people can do what they want to do. Uh, at the same time, I know that, you know, when I was doing bodybuilding, I didn't care whether it was good for me or bad for me. I, I was trying to make the muscle look like so. You know, I looked at Frank Zane. I looked at me. I looked at Frank Zane. I looked at me. I looked at Arnold. I looked at me. I was like, I was trying to get, I was trying to get somewhere. And I didn't really give a hoot whether it hurt me or not. In other words, and so, so for many, I mean, we come here to play in these bodies. We can do what we want. I mean, people can look at someone with, you know, you know quarter-sized gauges and say, oh, my God, what have they done? And they look at themselves in the mirror, and they think it's really cool. You know, so uh, similarly with, with uh, different uh, compensations that people develop, you know, in other words, we're making choices, and, uh, and then the question becomes whether you want to keep on making those choices or, or not, rather than whether they're good, bad, or indifferent, uh, you know, depending on, you know, what I decide a person should look like or how they should move. Um, ultimately, it's going to be, you know, what are you trying to get out of your life? And if you've had enough of that, I can show you something else. Step onto my table here. You know, so, um, that, you know, I think that's awesome. You know, so, and that's what I, I assume that uh, most people who are in service professions that are putting their hands on people are, are hoping uh, people to expand their experience of themselves, have, maybe have a more integrated experience of themselves. But many people are going to come to you also because they're trying to, you know, get the golf ball further or they're trying to run faster they're trying to do do stuff and um and they don't want you to decompensate them necessarily right because you, you might make them you know better in in general but it might not be better to be the, the best high jumper in the world right yeah and so one of the things that i, I notice is i i do a pretty very interesting um 
workout, I guess you could call it. I, I, and, it's, and it's pretty much just I, I dance and I move and I do kind of gymnastic stuff and I pick up heavy weights and, and it's, it's very, very strange looking. And um, I, you know, something that I noticed though, at first people thought, I was I was crazy, you know, and now slowly these people that are, you know, doing these linear movements and into the like the bodybuilding motions, slowly they're starting to kind of be curious about it. Um, and it's so something that, you know, I'm noticing is people starting to change their movement a little bit, getting becoming a little bit more dynamic and expressive with their movement. Was there some moment for you that it was like this bodybuilding stuff is killing me or was it, you know, what, what was that transition for you? Well, I think that probably the most I can say, <laughs> probably the most transitional moment m- moment for me with regard to movement was watching uh, Emily uh, Conrad at a workshop um, many years ago, uh, maybe a long time ago, twenty two years ago, and she she did this thing with her face, um, and she did this breast, and then she her face sort of collapsed and melted and went kind of all lizardy and. And it was, I was like, I was watching like the sleeve stack manifest in front of me. It was really bizarre. And, and there was just no social construct there. In other words, that what, she, what she did was she allowed her face to be, you know, by, by whatever, by the standard of the mirror or the magazine, ugly for a moment so that different kinds of movement could come through it. Hmm. And I was uh, astonished um, at how, how, our, our, our faces, our, our, our movement through space is a, a social construct uh, that doesn't have to look that way and that that social, social contract, construct does represent a bit of a neural rut and that we can, um, we can just be anything. Uh, we can morph. We can change. And, that, and, that, and I, as I watched my own body change, as I went from that highly structured body um, to a more dynamic one myself to sit, to to take that on, you know, as a, as an art uh, that um, that exploration of difference and that appreciation of of difference and to, and and what does that do to my mind? You know, how does it free my mind to to move in uh, my body differently? Um, I had very specific experiences also in my in my. Rolfing training, where we had that movement component as well, in part, in those early days, it was just coming in, and uh, and I was I was asked to walk across the room. You know, just you know, we do that. Let's analyze Gill's movement. I walk across the room, and uh, I had been very monkish uh, for many years. I, I I was at the University of Chicago. I was getting a PhD in Catholic, you know, theology and ethics, and and I literally walked around with a hood and a book in front of me and did circles around the stacks of the library or walked. I would walk six miles from downtown, from a, from a south side of Chicago to downtown Chicago, Chicago Loop, along the lake. I would walk six miles with a hood and a philosophy book, and that was me. I was like a monk. And so when I got to, to do my rolfing training, I was still walking like that. And so I walked across the room, and, and Jane uh, said, uh, you know, could you, would you consider allowing your eyes to come up to the horizon? And... Um, and I did, and I walked across the room, and of course I moved completely differently just from doing that, and I saw a smiling face looking at me, and it was, it was like, oh my gosh, there's a whole world here, how interesting. <laughs> and uh, just that willingness to engage the world changed my movement patterns completely. Because I was like, oh, I know what I was doing, I was trying to hide, I get it, well, I don't want to hide anymore, I'm going to get out there. Right. Yeah, and that's something that I touch on with people. I mean, I get more and more fascinated by that 
literally every single moment or every day of how our emotions and how, you know, how the, just the way that we express ourselves in this world is creating this physical manifestation of tissue that we live in. You know, and it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's, it's so amazing. You know, when you start looking at it, it's like, what is it? The chicken or the egg? You know, is it like, did I move myself into this feeling that I have? Or did this feeling move me into this physical body? Do you have any thoughts on that? Is it just chicken or the egg? Like, it's, it's definitely the chicken and definitely the egg. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I can practice a lot, but I ain't never going to be Michael Jordan. And uh, at the same time, you know, in other words, right? You know, so we have certain endowments or, or, or limit cycles that are, you know, sort of given to us. And then within that limit cycle, we can find uh, an almost infinite, um, you know, what, what would you call that in mathematics? You know, it's like a contained infinity or something. So, you know, in other words, I'm going to move every way that a human uh, with this kind of body uh, under this kind of conditions can can move uh, in a way that feels good as opposed to um, taking the same container and moving it rigidly uh, but I'm, I you know so would you would you suggest for a person who has you know say they have you know di- uh, depression or they have you know I don't want to say that you, you got the depression but if they have you know some type of emotional response that they're not satisfied with would you suggest movement as a means of you know working with that oh for sure um that's awesome yeah movement and connection you know basically you got to reach out um and uh beg for help basically but uh, i mean depression is a complicated issue but for for sure uh you can see it right everyone knows what it looks like uh, in a body Right. So then you, you would have to move that body differently to have a different experience in it. And then the question becomes, you know, how do you get there? So because yeah. uh, there's a reason why someone is moving like that. There, there are issues, you know, and uh, but how do you generate new chemistry? Now, you can definitely generate new chemistry from movement. And you've moved differently. Your your little cells are busy. They're working. You know, they're they're uh, pumping out different kinds of, you know, the, the genes are are pumping out different proteins when you're doing something this way than they are when you're doing something that way. We are absolutely, you know, expressing ourselves genetically differently based on our behavior. Right. And so for the for the the monk movers out there in the world, I'm sure you notice, I mean that's obviously if that's a place that you came from, you probably notice it quite a bit. Um, is there any suggestions that you would have for, for someone that may be moving in this physical expression that they, they, they may not be totally satisfied with if they do want to change it? Or, or another question, did you Yeah, did you well, want look to change? up and get late. That's what I'd say. <laughs> I, yeah, man. <laughs> How about that? That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got, in other words, yeah, that was part of it for me. I mean, monks don't have sex. Monks don't, don't think, and, you know what I'm saying? Or they're not supposed to, at least. So, I mean, as, you know, in other words, how, what if we, don't, we don't talk about our sexuality as part of movement, but if, if ever there was a thing that, that um, you know, those endocrine glands down there like to do, it's to move. You know, they're movers. Right. Uh, so, you know, we, that's, that's life. That's life going through us. You know, and the way we po- posture ourselves. I mean, we, you lock your knees back and squirt your energy out your knees. God forbid it should go up your crotch and you could actually feel Mother Earth reaching up at your pants and giving you a little tug. So, the, you know, the, the, we have these kinds of energies, and these are the energies of life. But again, with this, there's a social approbation around fe- even feeling what is offered to us in our human 
in our moving human form. When that kind of life energy and that kind of movement moves through you, we judge it and we try and shut it down. We're afraid of it or, or we, we, uh, we judge it and we say, well, I feel this good and I'm standing next to that person. I must be in love with them. No, it has nothing to do with them. You feel this good because life is moving through you. You know, and when we can learn to experience life moving through us and it's uh, even its uh, sexual quality as, as awakening to us and our whole body becomes um, uh, alive and you can say your whole body is sexual or there is no sex anymore. Either way, you, you choose to put language on it. Uh, ultimately, what it boils down to is we're, we're sort of born um, to have all kinds of movement going through our bodies that feel really good. And uh, if, if we disallow that because we think, oh, because we assign meaning to sensation uh, in our culture in a way that, that, that rules against the sensation, then we'll rule against the movement, and the movement patterns will reflect that. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. And, and that's, I think, that you, you just defined uh, structural integration at the same time. Hmm. You know? Wow. <laughs> I, I, Did it, you get a recording of that? Yeah. I don't know I, what I, I think, said. I think it finally happened. <laughs> Wow, I was just channeling Gil. I don't know what he said. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I just have a couple more questions. One of the things I was curious about is your opinion on, um, so so as far as connective tissue reality and the body work approach, anatomy trains is something that is coming out into mainstream reality. Do you have any opinion, not necessarily specifically on Tom Myers and anatomy trains, but creating these uh, connective tissue abstractions, you know, and, and putting it down as, and having it's like, you have our lateral line or our medial line or spiral line. You know, do you have any opinion on that? I sure. Absolutely. Um, and you know, I've talked with Tom about it over the years and, uh, I'm, I'm quite clear. Uh, I know a model when I see one and that's not a bad thing. So what I see, see in, in, in the anatomy trains or in, say, the layers and levels of the person I work with in integral anatomy are models, and they're, they're ways of parsing out and looking into uh, and creating abstract things that we can talk about from something that is unified. And then the question becomes, is the model useful? And so I think that Tom's model is proving itself useful. There's all kinds of practitioners out there you know, using those, um, those perceptions to you know, strategize sessions and to notice where a person could use help. So I think that's fantastic. And I'm all, I'm all for um, anything, any model that's uh, functional. And that's the test of a model. It's not whether it's real, it's whether it works. So uh, our models are not real. If they were real, they wouldn't be models, right? So models <laughs> are in reality are like the opposite. So when, when we, in other words, the, say in the Rolfers use uh, whatever, uh, X legs, O legs, and then after a while, they add it mixed. You know, so a very simple model. That's great. You could put the whole world into a box and, and three swipes. Uh, and uh, then you can strategize a session. Well, I got old legs. I got X legs. I missed legs. And you do different things in the next hour. And you can sum it up really quickly. So it's very useful. Um, but it hardly sums up the infinite complexity of humanity, right? right. And uh, so similarly, you know, Tom could have picked out if his imagination were perked in a different way when he designed this thing. He could have giving you another 10 lines um, that would have been, uh, could have been equally instructive, right? Sure. Uh, There's no intrinsic reality to the lines any more than there's any intrinsic reality to the layers of the body. Because if you weren't into layers and you're into onions, you just say, kill it's all about the trees, you know, and you follow the trees through the layers and you say, they're not layers, they've got holes in them. 
you know, or whatever. And it depends. So the question, again, it just boils down to um, fun- functionality. Um, so that would be my take on, on Tom's work is that he's, he's created a very functional model uh, helping people to, um, you know, strategize, body read, and uh, serve their clients in a, in a session that makes sense. Um, and does, does it, is it real? Of course not. Uh, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. And, not in, in that way. And just because you can carve it out of a cadaver doesn't make it real either. I can carve layers out of a cadaver. It doesn't make them real. It just means I'm good with a knife. Right. But I mean, and, and, and it's kind of like you're saying, like it, to, to one, once, once we're working with cadavers, I think it is very challenging to really capture life. You know, from that from that system, and and as we are, you know, creating, you know, taking out these cuts and these, you know, creating these lines, you know, it is it's an amazing model to get, to be able to follow, and I think it's done such an amazing thing for actually finally making it be a mainstream thing to start talking about this. Oh my, you know, my foot is connected to my head. How you know how how amazing? Exactly. You know, it's yeah. Like, what I, and, and and to create and to allow people to actually see that it's not just. Uh, it's incredible. It's incredible how much work it takes to move the human race towards a, a conception of themselves as one. <laughs> no less in your own body, but between you and me. It's a model. I'm telling you, it's a model that says I'm here and you're there. Right. And you. Now, that's, a, that's a model, too. That's this weird atomistic thing. You know, if you're a mystic, well, it's all one. If you're a physicist, it's all one. And then there's this there's difference within the one. Yeah. Um, it's not. It's not other than that in the body either. The body, as above, so below. The the body is has is this one thing, and there are differences in it, and the differences are interesting, and uh, and and we can play with them. Yeah, and you. I mean, it's very obvious with speaking to you, and you know, I've read I've read some of your books, and you know, I've I've checked out Integral Anatomy, the DVD series, and you very obviously embody your work and, and go well beyond the model and so i just want to say thank you for that firstly and then um as well along with that i think when you do start to to go beyond the model it's kind of like when you move to a new you know city first you learn all the street signs and eventually you just you kind of live there and you just you, you kind of get from place to place you get, get there with your eyes closed you know and i think i think it's a similar thing with working with the body you know and what it ends up becoming is Poetry, you know, is dance, is just expression. And I think it's so fascinating getting to listen to you talk because you, you, you speak in poetry and you happen to write poetry as well. I was curious if you have anything handy that perhaps might be fun for listeners to, to, to hear. Yo, folks, this is a setup. He asked me before we talked whether I had a poem for him. So I got a book and I picked out a poem. Busted. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good, good try there. Yeah, sure. Let me read this one. You ruined the setup. Um, ruined the setup. Yeah, what a spoiler. Spoiler. Um, and now I've like taken a brand new book off my shelf and I'm bending and I can't spell it anymore. So you're in trouble. Okay. Um, I, this one is from a book called Coming Into Form. I wrote two poetry books. This was the first, and the second was called Beyond the Leaving. But from Coming Into Form, I'll read you this one. No thing, no thing is made sacred by being set apart, separated, hallowed. No one becomes holy from adulation, pomp, or prayer. What clump of this or lump of that? What bits of flesh or outcast? 
does not hail directly from the same precious source of holy waters and holy men. Flesh, too, aches from the divine stirring within. And the scraps flung to dogs turn to light and scat alike. All beyond comprehension. Perfect. The sacred stuff is all. Every yearning star and burr, the exalted and the lowly, songs, cries, and moans, the fleeting and the lasting, every one a turning wisp of smoke rising from the altar, burned sweet, holy, and acceptable. That's beautiful, man. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. I um, I want to let people know where they can find you. You have some some amazing books, and if anyone's interested in understanding anatomy at a deeper level than just that of you know bicep brachialis and you know quad you know your quadriceps, um, I absolutely would would say check out Integral Anatomy. It's it's helped me a ton with my journey. Um, could you give people an idea where to find you at? Sure. Um, gillheadley.com, G-I-L-H-E-D-L-E-Y. You can even misspell it. Google knows me. Um, so gillheadley.com and uh, my website, there's lots of stuff. I, I found out, uh, by studying Google analytics that people would go to my front page and then immediately click on the gallery. So I put everything inside the gallery. <laughs> that way people would find it. Um, so basically, uh, there's a lot of stuff on my website. It's pretty much bottomless, so it looks very simple. And uh, the galleries link has hours and hours of uh, video there uh, that you can watch. And I'm in the midst of building out a subscriber site because although there are hours and hours uh, already up there, I have hundreds of hours of material archived as well as thousands and thousands of images uh, which I want to bring out uh, and make accessible. So basically at the moment I'm building what's called Innerspace at gilhadley.com. So Gil Hadley Interspace will be a place for folks to uh, do what I say I'm dedicated to, which is exploring interspace. And I'll have, uh, again, uh, material touching on every aspect of ourselves. Uh, but um, for those particularly interested in anatomy, there'll be lots of stuff there, too. And that's hopefully going to roll out uh, sometime later this year. I'm, I'm working on it now and I have a few beta subscribers, actually, who are uh, noodling around finding all the broken bits. Awesome, Gil. Well, you are truly a master at your craft, man. I really appreciate getting to watch you. I haven't, I've seen a lot of videos of cadaver labs and this and that. And it's like, it's, it's, it's amazing to get to see someone truly embodying the work and really feeling the work and, you know, taking it to the degree that you have and then being so savvy with all of, you know, the, 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 the anatomy and the physiology. It's just, it's, it's, it's beautiful, man. I really appreciate it. Well, you're very kind. I appreciate your interest, and thanks for uh, sharing a good word. And uh, maybe I'll see you in the lab someday. Yeah, absolutely. All right, go. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. Sure. Take care. See ya. 
Online Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog. You can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body. You can check out the online coaching where we work, how, work out how to optimize your movement practice so that you can live optimally and pain-free for the rest of your life. As well, be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. And it's like a physical therapist, a massage therapist, all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Online Podcast.